listeners, welcome to the NK News Podcast. This is your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and I'm recording this intro on Sunday, March 5th, 2023. This episode, we're doing something different. Instead of our usual monthly roundtable, Chad O'Carroll and I joined a media tour of Panmunjom, the joint security area, in the middle of the demilitarized zone. On Friday, March 3rd, together with other Korean and foreign media, we were guests of the United Nations Command, who led us to all the important historical sites. Before we get started, a request to you all. NK News is running another survey about this podcast. Thank you to everyone who took part in the survey last time. We're doing another different survey now to give us more clarity on ways that we might develop the podcast so it better appeals to a crowd that is not currently listening to it. So please take a couple of minutes to visit nknews.org survey and fill out the survey. It really would help me and the team at NK News to put out the best quality product that will help us to grow our audience. Next, a preamble to today's podcast. It used to be that tour companies would take busloads of tourists up to the JSA every day from Tuesday through Saturday. But that has been on hold since the COVID pandemic broke out. So we present this audio version of a tour to Panmunjom, complete with explanations given by U.S. Navy Lieutenant Mulligan, the Joint Duty Officer at Panmunjom. He was the one who led our tour. You will also hear the voices of myself and Chad, as well as Australian Army Major Ricky, the Public Affairs Officer of the United Nations Command. You may also hear CNN's Richard Quest, whom we met up there, and William Gallo, a Voice of America, who was there too. Chad took a bunch of photos up there during our tour and has written a text article about the trip that we will link to in the show notes so subscribers to NK News will get a little extra visual material to enjoy. Since much of this podcast was recorded outside, there is some wind noise that the microphone picked up unavoidably. My apologies that the sound quality isn't what we usually put out in our studio or Zoom recordings, but Gabby Magnuson, our producer, has done her best to fix up the audio levels. On our audio tour, we did not see a single North Korean soldier anywhere in the joint security area. There may have been some inside Panmungak watching us, but none that I could see. Now, on with the show. All right, I am in the NK News vehicle with Chad O'Carroll, boss of NK News. Hi, Chad. Hey, Jacko. How's it going? Fantastic. I am so stoked to be finally going up to Panmunjom to the joint security area. I haven't been there since before COVID. What are you hoping we'll see today? I'm hoping two things. Number one, we actually see some North Korean soldiers. Uh, that would be rare. Very rare. And also, we're going to have a pretty good look through the Zoom into Kaesong, which, as you may have heard... Uh, the industrial complex. Yeah, you can see the industrial complex. You can see some of the village. And basically, uh. with the Zoom, just want to have a look and see how things are over there because there's been a lot of reports in South Korean media recently about dozens dying every single day in Kaesong due to food shortages. Oh my goodness. Uh, which seems, I'm, I'm skeptical of, of that number, dozens per day. And, and if it was really that treacherous mm. in Kaesong, the UNC folks in the JSA and surrounding area would have a pretty good view of what's going on and could corroborate that. What sources are South Korean media citing when they say dozens of people dying a day? <clears throat> they cited specifically a source familiar with North Korea affairs. It started with Yonhap reporting this, and I understand that the South Korean MOFA has also been briefing certain embassies here that there is a really bad food situation, and I suspect that information comes from the spy service, but 
I wonder if there is a possibility we're seeing the kind of stuff that came out during the latter part of the Pat Gunhe administration when there was a lot of very negative reporting put out through Yonhap to, to seemingly just make look North Korea look bad. Uh. I wonder if there's been some uh, exaggeration. Well, I mean, we know there's food shortages, but to the point where dozens are dying a day, that's a lot. And in Kaesong, which is near uh, the area of Huanghedo, which I think was traditionally a, a large, traditionally been a large agricultural area, right, Huanghedo? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it would be surprising if there were food shortages that bad in a place, you know, in one of in the old capital of Korea, right? Yeah, right, exactly. It was the uh, before the uh, the Choson dynasty, the last capital of Korea in the, in the Kogryo dynasty was in Kaesong or Kogryo dynasty. Oh gosh, I got my dynasties mixed up. Somebody will write to me and, and correct me on that one. <laughs> but if if dozens of people were actually dying a day in the city of Kaesong, that would be almost going back to the mid-1990s sort of level of uh, the arduous march of mass starvation, right? Exactly. It, it sounds far-fetched, to be honest to me. You know, if, if, if there were really people dying to that level, there would be, I would imagine, people trying to scramble across the border into South Korea. Mm. It would be really desperate, and there would be other consequences and symptoms of that problem that would be, I think, quite observable, but we'll see. And as you said, that's something that the, the people at the United Nations Command in the JSA would have some, possibly some visibility of with their uh, super zoom lenses, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this, I, I've been in one of the control areas in, uh, near the JSA or within the JSA area, where, where, which has all the TV screens that the military are observing their other side with. And I've seen what they can see in parts outside of the JSA itself, and it's pretty detailed. So. I would have thought you you could they would have some intel on that. That's great. Are we going to be able to visit there today? Do you think, Chad? <laughs> we can ask. It'd also be cool to visit the world's most dangerous golf course. Right, the single hole golf course. I once saw it on a uh, a trip to Panmunjom back in 1999. They don't seem to show that as part of the tour anymore. No, uh, I w I was doing a military visit delegation thing a few years ago, and that was how I got to go there. But it was um, there's. Uh, <laughs> signs up warning of landmines right it's a single hole golf course surrounded on three sides by minefields active minefields right <laughs> very very dangerous although luckily no active shooters i mean that would certainly make it more dangerous if there was some sniping going on uh so this is a, a tour that's been organized by the united nations commands what do they call it pao P public affairs office so expressions of gratitude to the pao for having us out there today we're looking forward to Maybe even seeing a clear view. I mean, what, what, what do the skies look like today, Chad? A little bit overcast, some clouds. Yeah, it looks quite clear, though. I guess the key thing will be what the haze is like when we get to the border. Sometimes that can really ruin your view. True. Now, we're leaving Seoul at, uh, what time is it now? Quarter to 12. And what time do you think we'll be getting up to the JSA? 12.42. Our navigation. Okay. And, and where are we meeting the people from the PAO? So we're going to... Tongiritekyo, like unification bridge, yeah. And then um, apparently the car is pre-checked to, to just drive in, so wow. we can go right up to the uh, visitor center, and then we'll have to probably get on a bus at that point and drive to through one of the checkpoints to the JSA itself. And it's incidentally the checkpoint that you drive through is where the landmine explosion took place in, I think it was 2016, 2017, where there was a South Korean two soldiers maimed. 
2015, I think, when Park Geun-hye was the president, right? And there were two who you said, uh, as you said, they uh, lost half of their leg, and w- well, one lost half of his leg, and one lost his foot. And that was right there at the visitor center, was it? Just uh, not at the visitor center, but at the first barbed wire fence that you cross to go from the visitor center to the JSA itself. Boy, that's dramatic. Okay, so we'll be seeing that. And are we having lunch with the Swiss or the Swedes at the Neutral Nation Supervisory Commission today? I don't know. Probably not. Okay, we'll have to pick up something on the way. All right, well, uh, listeners, this is uh, what we'll be doing today. So I'll be keeping you updated as we go. Are we going to any of the observatories like the Ordos or the Sun? Mm, not on the schedule, but Imjingak is really close if we want to stop off on the way back. All right, okay, keep listening, listeners. Okay, so uh, Chad, we're on the road here somewhere in uh, Paju City, uh, very close to Munsan, uh, where I once taught at a school in 1996. I could see one of those tank drops up ahead there to, uh, to block the road in case the North Koreans invade. Do you know where we are and where we're going? We're still on the way to Tongil Bridge and we're following the GPS coordinates that we were given by the colleagues at uh, United Nations Command. I have a sneaking suspicion where it's taking us is the wrong way and we're going to end up in a country lane somewhere. We're currently following a black Audi uh, late model down a, uh, a country lane. Yeah, I think I made this exact mistake last time. Oh, there's another tank drop, that one. I don't know what they call that one, but that one looks like a, an artificial valley made of stones and uh, if it blows up, then two large concrete logs uh, fall down onto the road and, and stop the advance of uh, any uh, infantry vehicles or tanks. Yeah, I, <laughs> it just definitely doesn't look like the way to uh, the JSA. Oh. And now we're, we have a, our path is blocked by a small Kia flatbed. Yeah, so. Um, the rice uh, has not yet been sown here. I can still see the stubble from the last harvest. So I think Naver Maps, which is what we're using, just doesn't have the exact spot for mm. the bridge we need to be at. So this took me about 10 minutes to solve last time. All right, here we are at the gate to the Tongil Degyo, or Unification Bridge. We're right in front of the, uh, the Korea Security Corps. In front of us is the SBS Kia van, and once they go through, we'll come up for our inspection of our identity documents to see if they'll be allowed... If being allowing us through uh, to take part in the big media tour of Panmunjom today. Oh, they've brought passports, Chad. Bit, yeah. I'm a bit nervous now. Do you recognize that head from behind? No. Could be Richard Quest. He could be going up there. Uh, CNN. Once we get, if we get through here, I'll give them a call. See if they're going up there. I know Richard's in for one more day. They almost let us. JSA Media Tour. JSA Media Tour. check inside to see if we were smuggling a, a, a spy up to the border, I guess, huh? Or yeah. some 
rocket-propelled grenade launcher. <laughs> he almost let us through without checking. Yeah. They were putting up the boom gate. We had our cards back in your hand. Yeah. That would have been a breach of protocol and security. I'm reading that sign correct in front there. It says that farmers can enter from 6.10 up until uh, in the morning until 7 p.m. in the evening, or 7.10 in the oh. evening. So there is quite a lot of farming going on in here. Yeah. Well, don't forget, this is still just the civilian control right, area. Right, 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 right. There's a lot of, most of this yeah. is farmland because you can't use it for anything else commercially. Korean security guard is now reading our two resident cards into his walkie-talkie. All right, well, here we are. We are about to hit the gateway to unification. That is uh, what we call aspirational speak in marketing <laughs> terms, chat. Yep. Uh, here we are on the unification bridge looking at probably the Imjin River, I guess, in front of us, yeah? Yeah, Imjin Gak's going to be... Is it that way on the to our east? I'm not sure actually. Oh no, there it is. No, no, that's something you go over there with yeah. the sculptures. Yeah. yeah. So we are, um, yes, gunning it along Unification Bridge. Go, Chad. <laughs> gonna get into North Korea. We're gonna hit Pyongyang by lunchtime. Yep. <laughs> I want some of that Pyongyang rengmyeon, please. Yes. Very good. Nice. Okay, it's very cold. Yeah, I'm gonna close the windows now. It's colder than I expected. Okay, slow down here because. We've got some chicanery. Oh. That's Senna. <laughs> you know he died doing that. <laughs> That's the scariest part. You have veered off course, it says. The navigation. Oh, right. Yeah, the navigation no longer works in this area. 208 kilometers. 208 kilometers. Now, if we drove at a, at a steady 60 kilometers per hour, you could be there in three hours and 40 minutes. Yeah. We could also drive double that speed. You mean like every North Korean uh, tourist bus driver? Yeah. yeah. Oh, now that's Tongil village over there to the left. Warrior base, live fire complex. I'm clips. So this is the uh, the zone of civilian control. This is still a couple, uh, well, several kilometers before the joint security area or even the demilitarized zone. We are in the civilian control area and there's almost all farmland here. This is where the American soldiers will tell you, oh no, that's later. It's actually third the... Third tunnel. Right, third tunnel and Dora obs <coughs> Observatory are in the, uh, the joint security area. See, this has gone haywire. The it's navigation... GPS, uh, block blocking or something's going on. Right. Could we just turn that off? It doesn't... Yeah, it thinks we're going through the river again and again. It's doing a groundhog day. I'm hungry. I hope they have a nice lunch late on for us, Chad. I don't think there's going to be any food. <laughs> We're going to have to stop somewhere. Tourism, I don't think tourists, I think tourism is still prohibited to uh, the Jersey. And when, was that a COVID measure? Yeah, uh, it was a COVID measure and it just, uh, I know it was then 
there were it, there were some false starts with it reopening several times during the pandemic but then it was also asian swine flu uh leading to it being closed and yeah i'm not sure what the, the situation is right now we're going under a massive tank trap now two huge uh well one huge concrete block held up by three very thin looking concrete legs that uh, if they were to be blown out the whole thing would come down on the street They always say that uh, it wouldn't take North Koreans too long to move them out of the way, but I guess the idea is, as, as I've been told, probably by Steve Tharp, is that uh, you then set up some uh, some shooting positions behind there so you can shoot down at the soldiers as they're being forced to move this right. stuff away. Here we are at Camp Boniface, named after one of the two officers, Camp Boniface and, uh, sorry, Captain Boniface, and I think it was Captain uh, Barrett, who were... Uh, bludgeoned to death by North Koreans with axe handles back in, um, help me out here, I was, it, it's August of 75 or 76, I always have trouble with the year. We are now entering, or waiting to be permitted to enter the United Nations Command Security Battalion at Camp Boniface, with Lieutenant Colonel Christopher L. Mercado in commanding, and Command Sergeant Major. Are you coming for a tour? Yes, media tour. Uh, can I ask your name? Sure, I'm uh, Jacko Zwetslut with a Z, and this is Chad O'Carroll, and we're with NK News. You know where Visit center. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That right up there. The USA red. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Following that street and up the hill and left. Parking lot. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, right, we know where we're going. I will take you to the site of a famous defection incident from 1984 when the son of a Soviet diplomat uh, was on an orientation like we are right now and used that opportunity to cross the line and defect to this house. So when KPA soldiers crossed the MDL to pursue him, it started a large firefight and multiple people were killed. So prior to 1988, this camp was known as Camp Kitty Hawk. It was renamed Camp Boniface in honor of Captain Arthur Boniface and First Lieutenant Barrett, who were killed during the 1976 axe murder incident. This guard post right here was surrounded on three sides by the KPA. And this was a commuter bridge. This is the bridge of no return, and it has other historical significance, but it was used as a daily access point for the KPA to get into the JSA. Because of that, the soldiers in this guard post sometimes came under attack, or the KPA attempted to kidnap them to the north. The only checkpoint that had overwatch of that guard post had their view obstructed by a large poplar tree that had grown, and it needed to be cut down to maintain situational awareness of the status of the soldiers inside. This tree is on the southern side of the MDL, and when Captain Boniface led a team to cut it down, Lieutenant Pak Chul of the KPA came out and told them they were not allowed to do so. He claimed that that tree had been planted by Kim Il-sung himself, and therefore it was sacred and not to be touched. The tree was much older than Kim Il-sung, and it very definitely had not been planted by him. So when the UNC continued to cut down the tree, Lieutenant Pak Chul returned with a truck full of KPA soldiers and gave the order to kill them. They killed them with the axes used by the landscapers to trim the tree. So after that, we cut off their access to the br this bridge, and they no longer could enter the JSA from that point. They had to find another way to get in. That's because prior to 1976, the joint security area truly was a joint area where inside the JSA, soldiers from uh, the KPA and UNC could freely traverse about to conduct their business. So if you look at photos from 1975, 
you will see there is no concrete marker at the MDL intersecting those buildings. After the axe murder incident, the MDL lines were enforced and a barrier was put in place or a marker was put in place. While general officer talks were taking place, the KPA targeted Major Henderson in 1975 and ended up uh, crushing his ribs and breaking his larynx. And he was medically discharged that year. So this was one example of many cases where the KPA used acts of violence as both an intimidation tactic and also to gain leverage during talks. The final point I want to draw your attention to is the Bridge of No Return. So the Bridge of No Return was used for two operations to repatriate wounded soldiers and civilians separated from their homeland by the war. In accordance with the Armistice Agreement, anyone that wanted to cross that bridge could make the decision on their own to return to their homeland or they could stay where they were. But once they crossed that bridge, they could not return, hence the bridge of no return. The first operation, Operation Little Switch, was used to repatriate about 6,000 soldiers who were POWs. And the second one, Operation Big Switch, was to repatriate approximately 104,000 civilians. And the final crew of POWs that were returned and crossed that bridge was the crew of the USS Pueblo the U.S. ship that was captured by the North Koreans and the crew was held in captivity for about a year. We're now on the bus with all the media people from CNN and Korean media so, organizations. Approaching a series of defensive measures put in place after uh, a campaign of KPA incursions into the DMZ that killed many American and ROC soldiers. So the first of these that you're going to see are the black cement kind of pillars that are up on those blocks. Those are anti-tank barriers, anti-tank defenses, and they are rigged to uh, blow with explosives in order to block the road. And then over your left shoulder, you'll be able to see on this side a anti-tank wall that extends the length of the DMZ in most areas. Next, we are approaching two series of chain link fences. There are guard posts every 100 to 200 meters, and there are Claymore explosives every 10 meters. Just before we enter the southern boundary line, I'm looking to the right, and that's where Chad said the uh, two South Korean soldiers were maimed by North Korean mines in 2015. In this area, by the ROC 1st Infantry Division. We are now in the demilitarized zone. We've crossed the southern boundary line. And then the fields to your left and your right are active minefields. So we're also approaching a blue archway. That is the actual entrance to the southern part of the DMZ. So what you see behind you, the defenses there are because that terrain is ideal for defense. But we are actually about to approach and enter the southern portion of the DMZ now. Okay, so I misspoke. We're about to enter the real demilitarized zone. Now, now we're in the demilitarized zone. So as you can see, these portions of the DMZ were actually quite militarized and very heavily defended. So over to your right on that hill, you'll be able to see Outpost Olet, or OPO as we call it. It's named after Dean Olet. <laughs> Do you think he's ever been there? 
don't know. I've never been up there. I've never been up there, no. What is the most strategic outpost that we have on this part of the peninsula? 원래 소초는 그 한반도 내에서 가장 전략적으로 중요한 소초 중에 하나입니다. On a clear day, from that position, they can see 27 kilometers into North Korea. That's what you want. 어, 날씨가 좋을 때는 오피올렛에서 북한 쪽으로 27km나 볼수 있다고 합니다. They also have an extensive uh, command suite with cameras and electronic sensors that provide good early warning for us uh, and the ability to monitor pattern of light in North Korea. You would, you, if it was that bad, you'd imagine people would be trying to cross the border en masse, right? But you're not, you're not seeing anything unusual. So, especially with uh, their COVID restrictions, they're uh -huh. very, very strict about locking down their border and, and increasing guards on both sides. Yeah. And so the majority of defections that have taken place are actually not going south through the DMZ. Right. Uh, it's easier for them to go through China and then head to a third country and yeah. try, to, try to get there. Yeah. Not if they're coming from Kaesong, though. It might still be. That's I mean, a it long depends on who you know. But, but in, in a nutshell, you're not seeing any. In a nutshell, we're not observing that because the parts that we are observing immediately in front of us yeah. aren't really like thriving urban centers or like villages. Mm -hmm. Those are a little bit deeper further. But this whole area is considered like the gay song. Yeah. yeah. Would you be able to see that from uh, Camp uh, OP Ouellet if there was any strangeness? There are very small villages kind of dotted all along the DMZ, but nothing in terms of larger population centers that they would really be able to notice. Does media ever go to OP Ouellette? No, they do not. No. We'll try. <laughs> no, they do not. I was going to come with you. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> hey, there's always a first time. Absolutely. So I was giving everyone a chance to Oh, I'm so sorry. Go, I thought you did. Absolutely. Okay, so if you guys are all set up, I'd be more than happy to give you kind of an introduction of what we're looking at here. So we have Gijongdong village in front of us. There's almost no presence of personnel there besides uh, a few groundskeepers and occasionally KPA soldiers they bring in. A lot of the buildings that we observe, uh, we can see that they are wooden constructed buildings with windows painted on. Additionally, for the buildings we see that do have windows, they don't have floors inside the buildings. It was constructed as an effort to try to entice uh, South Koreans to defect to the north when South Korea was experiencing economic hardship and food security issues after the war. So the high-rise building you see to the right of the Gijongdong village, off in the distance, there are two buildings next to each other, kind of two-tone. That's the former joint liaison office. Yes, sir. So the explosion that took place there in... 2020. 2020 yes, sir. Would have been visible from here if it was a clear day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And currently there are no windows there, so uh, they've all been blown out. Nice. But that building was used by the Ministry of Unification and other rock government officials to try to liaise with their North Korean counterparts. That was until activists in the South floated balloons filled with dollar bills and flash drives and K-dramas into the North. And so in response, Kim Yo-jung, the sister of Kim Jong-un, ordered that building to be blown up as part of a large display. To the right of that building, off in the distance, you can just barely see it, but that's the Gaesong Industrial Complex. In 2017, Sergeant O of the KPA defected from outside of the Panmunjom mission and stole a truck and drove it into the JSA. So about where my rock soldiers are standing right now is where he crashed his truck. He got out of the truck, ran across the MDL to the south, 
and was pursued by the KPA. They shot at him about 36 times. Please stay on the pavement inside the JSA. Thank you for your safety, please. Thank you. So he was uh, shot at 36 times and hit multiple times and landed in a ditch right here. It was then that the security battalion commander and the deputy commander from the rock side crawled up this ditch and dragged him inch by inch to safety and provided medical aid. They were able to fly him, like medevac him to Seoul, where he was seen by the only trauma surgeon in Seoul with gunshot wound experience after having done counter piracy volunteer work off the Horn of Africa. So now Sergeant O oh lives in South Korea as a uh, South Korean citizen. And you're welcome to come take a look. There are still bullet holes left in the cooling tower from that incident. There are about Sorry. five down below, and there's one stray one halfway up. Additionally, when the KPA soldiers fired, they ended up shooting out windows of the Peace House. Ironically, they shot out the windows to the DPRK waiting room that was in the Peace House. Does anyone have any questions? Wait, I have one more important yes, question. Sir. Where do you guys eat here? Is that like a snack bar or something? <laughs> it's, it's a very remote uh, and isolated post. And so uh, there is one small place that the soldiers can eat, uh, but there are, there are no grocery stores. There's no, uh, like our post office is about an hour away. Okay. Um, no bar? No bar. Oh. And uh, they got haircuts on Tuesdays and that's about it. Wow. So, yes, sir. Okay. So you can follow me. Please stay on the right side of the yellow line. We can walk slowly so the group stays together. The buildings that you see in front of you make up what's called Conference Row. The gray metallic buildings are KPA administrative buildings. This used to be the building for the old NNSC delegates from Poland and Czechoslovakia. So with that, it has not been used in many years. But However, they still maintain it. It has not been used for its official purpose. Okay. Yes, However, the T1 building in front of you is used on a daily basis by the Swiss and the Swedish delegates of the NNSC. And please don't cross in front of where my uh, escort is. The KPA are invited to weekly meetings with the NNSC. They have not come in many years, but there is a sort of mail slot at the back that they use to drop the minutes from those meetings down to the other side for the KPA. Uh, but please follow me inside this building and I'll, I'll show you so you're welcome to come to the north green side of the MDL, if you would like. Yes, right down the middle. These microphones are on, and they are broadcasting to both sides at all times. Please don't lean on any furniture or touch anything, but you're welcome to take some pictures. Your first so broadcast to Pyongyang. This is used for general officer talks, so very high-level discussions between the UNC and the KPA. The building next to us, T3, that building is used for staff officer-level talks, so lower-level uh, working group kind of talks between the KPA and the UNC. The rooms on either side were originally built for interpreters because all meetings were conducted in English, Korean, and in Chinese. After the Chinese People's Volunteer Army withdrew from talks, it just became translated in English and Korean, and they both sit at the head of the table now. There have not been any general officer level talks that have taken place in this building since approximately 2009. However, T3, the building for staff officer level talks, has been used many times up until the start of COVID. My boss, Colonel Hamilton, uh, the UNCMAC secretary, has personally had meetings with the KPA about 13 times or so in his time at UNCMAC. Prior to COVID, the KPA maintained a large presence outside of their building, the Pond Lungak, next to us. 
They no longer come out of the Pamungak on a regular basis because of COVID. And if they have to leave the building for any reason, uh, whether it be landscaping or maintenance or something, uh, we see them wearing full hazmat suits. And that's because they don't have the vaccines and they are very concerned that we are the ones that could get it. But prior to the start of COVID, the KPA would frequently use this building for orientation just like we are doing right now. And so that required significant coordination between my office and the KPA to make sure that we deconflicted when those times were going to be. They also would have guards posted outside who frequently would be videotaping and taking pictures of people like us doing orientations uh, for their documentation and their intelligence. question about the tree. So this tree, which was planted, as you say, by President Moon and, and Chairman Kim, that almost died, was kept alive only by the efforts of an American imperialist military hegemon watering it every day. Is that correct? With a garden hose, yes, sir. Goodness me. There's irony for you. Down that way, it's under reconstruction, so we cannot see it, but that is the Blue Bridge location that takes us to the NNSC camp. That is how NNSC members would commute to work. The tree's looking good now, by the way. It's, they yeah, added it's great. It's an full extra full section onto it for that it's summit. Awesome. It's symmetric. Moon and it's Chairman Kim. Big they could have a private the place to by the MDL trimmers. and uh, speak privately. So in addition to like the T section they kind of added, uh, they also widened the bridge so both leaders could walk side by side because you can't have one walk in front of the other. Unfortunately, the building, or the, uh, the construction is very old and uh, not, no longer structurally sound, so it's under renovation right now. This building over here, uh, this is the Joint Duty Office. This is arguably the most important building inside the JSA on a day-to-day -day basis. If you look at the top, you see a copper cable, a hard line running across. That goes directly to North Korea. And that's the phone line that we use on a daily basis to do comms checks with the KPA twice a day. Inside this building, I have multiple duty NCOs and translators who constantly man it 24-7. And they're the farthest and furthest north stationed uh, members of the UNC on the peninsula. They are 20 meters from the MDL on a daily basis. And that's including our translator, Miss Ahn, who rotates out of the frequency. So when you communicate on them, uh, with them on a daily basis for two calls, yes, sir. I mean, is it at a particular time? Is it at a particular form? So we do it at 0930 and at 1530 every day. Ooh. The KPA don't like surprises, and we keep things very regular and very uh, expected. So they, they know what to expect. We communicate with them and do comps checks. If we have a routine message to pass, we will wait until one of those comps checks to pass it. We're not going to call them randomly for something that is taking place a couple days later. We wait for those times because we know that's when they man the phones and they know we'll be calling them. And where is the North Korean side that's answering the phone call? It's inside the Pamungak huh. in that building. So they have a team of NCOs that man those phone lines as well and stay over there. What kind of messages come and go between So we pass everything from very routine messages. It could be everything from uh, like helicopter operations notification. Both sides, in accordance with the armistice subs agreements, are allowed to maintain a helipad. Mm -hmm. And so they chose not to, but we have one just over the hill, and we use it twice a month. If you follow UNC social media, we talk about the helipad and the flight yeah. all the time. It's monthly flight. Uh, it's time for us to now get on the bus. Yeah, it's time for the call. I was hoping we might watch you yeah. see the call being done. <laughs> we'll save that for another day, sir. Oh. <laughs>
head down to the bus. Sir, and, uh, more than happy yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lieutenant Mulligan, I have a couple of questions for you. That, that tree you showed us there, the, yes, the peace tree, planted again, as I said, by Chairman Kim Jong-un and yes, President Moon. It looks pretty healthy now. Is somebody pruning that tree? So we have to do regular uh, landscaping and maintenance of all the grounds here. Uh, but obviously, due to the proximity to the MDL, that provides some extra challenges. And so right. one notification of something that we might do is to notify them, hey, we are going to conduct a tree clearing operation uh -huh. in between these MDL markers on this date at this time. And then we notify them and we conduct that. So that. That is a tree that was planted by the leader that is occasionally pruned by the UNC. And in 1976, there was a tree supposedly planted by the leader, but not actually planted by the leader, but they said it was planted by the leader. The UNC wanted to prune it, and two men were killed for that. And now, 50 years later, we have a very similar situation, which is very humdrum. Nobody takes any notice of it. It happens on a day-to-day -day basis. No one cares. We like to maintain a sense of, of normalcy, but guarded, sure. guarded, guarded normalcy. Yeah, and normal. so, uh, for us, you know, tree clearing, these kind of operations, it's something we do all over the base yeah. and all along the DMZ and uh, particular locations. But we're very good and very deliberate about making sure we communicate those expectations, yeah. and then they see us do exactly what we said we were going to do, and we don't exceed the scope of what we said we were going to do. And with that, there is a sort of rapport that's kind of been established. They don't trust us per se, right. but there's a rapport there where they understand if UNCMAC and the JDO team is telling them we're going to conduct an operation at a certain time and give them the scope of it, they know that we're going to do that. Okay, Chad, so here we are back in your car driving south. We've left the uh, Camp Bonifast and we're about to go on the, uh, the Unification Bridge back to the south of the Yimjin River. Today's trip was pretty uneventful. Did you learn or see anything new at all? Uh, yeah, I think the key thing was what a couple of uh, UNC officials had to say about what we were talking about earlier regarding the claims in some South Korean media that there are this extreme food shortages in neighboring Kaesong area mm. and dozens of people are dying a day. And they said there's basically no indicator of that can be seen. You think that there's no evidence of mass starvation, dozens of people dying per day in or near Kaesong? Right, so on the one hand, one of the officials said that they have uh, somewhat limited visibility. Um, they can see the industrial complex, they can see farms nearby, um, and they can see uh, a lot of the border infrastructure. And they told me that, the, uh, on the other hand, um, that doesn't mean there wouldn't be visible indicators if there was a real crisis going on because mm. you would see presumably people getting really desperate right yeah. um, the other guy I spoke to though said uh, like he was much more um, emphatic that there was literally nothing unusual going on right now usual patterns of farming visible uh, usual movements of people um, no signs of uh, any any like serious like famine going on yeah. um so yeah um seems to uh oppose what the south korean government has been stating in some vectors about the desperate situation described in kaesong 
I'd say the other thing that was notable today was the North Koreans were just absolutely nowhere to be seen. Yes, I was very interested to hear when the uh, Joint Duty Officer said that it, when they do come out, it's in full head-to-toe hazmat suits. Hazmat yeah. suits. Yeah. Um, but you, last few times I've been there, you could see them creep, creeping behind the curtains and mm. looking through ah. cracks in the window to uh, observe what's going on. But right. even with the big zoom camera today, I, I couldn't see anybody there for... Um, but of course, the other thing was that the... Um, the North Koreans have tidied up their side of the uh, MDL on our last trip. Oh, there that's was really, there were weeds growing. Weeds everywhere, massively yeah. overgrown. But one of the um, officials said that prior to the Kamala Harris visit, the North ah. Koreans cleaned it all up. Right. So they they seem to care about that. Interesting. I I still can't get over the uh, the weird historical juxtaposition and irony of um, uh, of the North Koreans now being completely okay with Americans pruning a plant, a tree that had been planted by the leader of North Korea. Right. Whereas in 1976, they were willing to beat two American men to death for doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is ironic, but that that um, tree has nearly died several times from what I... That's right. I mean, it was, it's only kept alive by the efforts of the evil imperialist American military Which so-and-sos. Maybe a metaphor for... Yes. Uh, current situation we're in well there's a lot there, there certainly are a lot of metaphors there aren't there yeah, yeah. gosh yeah but yeah what did you think of the the, the trip well i'm glad i came because i haven't been as i said to one before since before the the pandemic so uh, that chapel was totally new to me mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't there before and, and being able to walk from where the, the lookout point is whatever that hill is called down into conference i'd never done that before so mm-hmm. to me it, it had some new elements in it yeah uh and, and actually standing and seeing where or Ch- Ch- uh, Chung Song, is that his name? Or Song Chung? Where uh, Sergeant O oh of the North Korean People's Army, where he was uh, shot and, and lay down in a, in a culvert or a ditch before he was rescued by the South Koreans in the Rapid Reaction Force. That was the first time I've ever actually been able to, to ah, see exactly okay. where that happened, super close up, with the bullet hole. So, yeah, yeah there were certainly some new elements for me. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if we're... If it ever go back to normal, where you've got the North Korean soldiers coming right up to you, the tourists flowing in from China and European countries. Yes, well, that's the first thing, isn't it? I mean, will they start the tours again uh, to the JSA, which they probably haven't done since COVID? Yeah, will will North Korea start tours in general? And that too, yeah. Tours to North Korea and tours to the JSA. Let's see what this year brings us. Yeah, for sure. All right, that brings us to the end of this special on-the-road episode with Chad and Jacko in the company G-Wagon for NK News. That is the end of our media tour to the Joint Security Area. Our thanks once again to the United Nations Command for having us on the tour. You can find the UNC on Twitter at UN underscore command. Sadly, in the end, we did not get to visit the world's most dangerous golf course, nor was there a lunch buffet or even a snack bar. Nevertheless, we hope you gained something from listening to our audio tour there. Once again, please take a couple of minutes to visit nknews.org survey and fill out the survey. It really would help me and the team at NK News to put out the best quality product that will help us to grow our audience this year. 
Thanks again very much to our audio producer, Gabby Magnuson, who has worked very hard to edit this all together into something that is halfway listenable. And thanks to our audience for listening, and listen again next time. Goodbye. <laughs>